0: Our Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in this church and where just a few people two years ago were meeting together to pray that you would bring a church together. You've now done that. And uh, as we come into a new phase for us to begin thinking about um, the future for us and and organizing as a church and uh, appointing elders and leaders in this church, uh, we ask that you would give us wisdom and we ask that you'd use this text to uh, speak to us, to inform us, to shape our minds. And uh, so we thank you for your word, the wisdom of your word. We pray that your spirit would now come and apply it, your perfect word, to our hearts um, and to our individual lives, we ask in Christ's name, amen. So uh, this morning we're talking about a really a very important topic for us as a church. You know, we're a young uh, young church and we don't, you might not know this, we don't have elders yet in our church. Um, I, I've been called as uh, as a pastor to come and gather people together and get a church started. And uh, But part of that, the big step in that process is gathering a group of elders that lead the church. Actually, most of you probably know we're a Presbyterian church. And Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteron, which means elder. And so uh, that's kind of one of... the the things that's really at the heart of, of how, uh, that might not sound very interesting to you, but how a church is led uh, is deeply connected to how healthy it is, the vitality of the church, what the church is about, the culture of the church. It, it has to do with who's leading the church. And and some of you might know this, but in the history of the church, there's been a variety of different ways that churches are led. You know, there's the uh, Episcopal, Model, which is kind of a hierarchy, uh, this is the you know, Episcopal Church, Anglican Church, a Roman Catholic Church, where there 's a hierarchy you know, they have bishops and archbishops and, uh, and uh, that have different levels of power and, and regions of churches that they uh, make decisions over and so that 's the episcopal model and then also in the, uh, on the other end of the spectrum there 's a congregational model, so maybe some of you have been at a congregational church where every time a church makes a decision, you have a congregational meeting. And every member in the church gets an equal vote. And everyone has a say in the decisions that are being made. Neither of those models are the, the, the leadership structure that the Bible gives us. Um, and, and I know I'm Presbyterian, so I, I lean towards that. But it's really it's in the it's in the Bible. It's in this passage that we're looking at, that uh, the, the leadership structure that the early church had, um, that the apostles set up, was that in each of the local churches like ours, there was a, uh, a team, uh, or they or we call it a session of elders, who uh, have been a, appointed and elected by the congregation to kind of represent and and take responsibility and lead the congregation. And so what, what that means is, you know, you come here and you hear from me a lot and I'm providing a lot of leadership in this church. That's not the goal for our church, that Nate calls all the shots and decides whatever we're going to do as a church. Uh, that's not the leadership, the structure that Jesus has set up. What he's set up is that there would actually be a team of uh, of elders who I, I'd be one of. And I would have just the equal power with them. You know, I have certain gifts that God's given to me and, you know, that I'm, I'm teaching I do the primary teaching and do the sacrament, and I'm I, I'm trained theologically, but there's other men that ho- hold me accountable, and we work together uh, to lead the church, and so that's a big uh, step for us. Um, that uh, you know, if you've if you've grown up in the church, if you've been in the church very long, you know that whoever is leading, whoever's in that group making those decisions, really shapes the culture of a church and i'll tell you you know right now we're moving out of uh we're an early church there's kind of a romantic period to when you start a church and and there's it feels like a family and it's new and it's fresh and we're moving into a new phase now as a church um where you know whenever you live with someone there's uh initially, you know, whenever you're in a relationship, things are, are great at first, you're excited, and then you, you begin to have to re- deal with the real people. And that's, that's kind of a phase. That we're going to have to move into, into organizing leadership and appointing, appointing elders in our church, and it's something that we need to think through uh, very carefully of who these men are going to be. And so what I want to do is we're looking at this passage. I First, I want to just lay out for you, uh, this may be a lot of details for some of you, but I am want to lay out for you just what is the process? How do we go from right now, Nate is leading the church, I'm kind of governing, I have the oversight of the church, to a team of guys that if you're a member of this church that you elected and appointed to represent you, in the church how do we how do we do that process and i'm going to first lay that out and then i want to use this passage for us to think about what kind of people are we looking for to be in that role what are the qualities the the qualifications we're looking for what are the things that we should make priorities And i'll tell you they're different priorities than what the world makes for its leaders okay they're different priorities so that's let, let me just first talk about the process Okay, um, this is the process of how do we become an organized church with elders. The first step is that in the end of August, this is coming up right now, uh, in the end of August, we're going to begin something called elder training, which it, it will actually be in place of monflesh. If you've been here, monflesh is our uh, men's discipleship time. In the fall, we're going to not have monflesh, We're going to have elder training, which is actually open to all the men in the church. If you go to this church, you're encouraged to come, whether you think you want to be an elder or a deacon or not. You're encouraged to come and just grow in your faith, learn about theology, be challenged. But especially if you if you feel God's calling to be an, an elder deacon, you need to come to this training. It's probably going to be 10 sessions meeting about every other week from the end of August to the beginning of December. And we're, um, and one of the things that I should make a point of is that this is, uh, you might be asking, if you haven't been to Christ Church 101, Christ Church 101 is kind of where we talk about our church and what some of the, the convictions of our church. One other thing, you might be asking, why is that for men only? Why is there men only going uh, to elder training? Well, first of all, let me just say that it's, in our church, we do, uh, we have, we'll have men who will be leading as elders, and then the diaconate, which are deacons, will be made up of men and women, men who will be ador- ordained deacons and women who will be commissioned by the church to, uh, to work together in the diaconate. For service needs and, uh, you know, kind of service care, that's what the diaconate does. And I want to tell you why, you know, why is that the case? That's a very unpopular thing in our culture, that we would only have men elders. Why would we do that? And I I want to be very candid and straightforward with you. One of the reasons is, this is not my church. I don't get to just make up whatever rules I want to make up in this church and make this church however I want. You should be thankful for that. (laughs) This is not my church, okay? This is Jesus' church. And he calls the shots, and he's laid out in the Bible, I don't just get to make up whatever I want to do, and not just on this matter or other matters. I don't get to make it up, and I, I have to follow what God's word says. And God's word is clear over and over that men have, been, have a calling and a responsibility to lead both in their families and in the church. And that's an important thing because, you know, I, I, one of the things that's happening in both the family and the church is that men are abdicating that responsibility. They don't want to step up to the bat; They want to check out. And even in the church, you have the gals are, are praying, they're reading the Bible, they're serving, they're involved, and men are, are uninterested. And uh, that's had taken a big toll on the church. And so I want to just make a couple things clear about this is Jesus' church, and what does Jesus say about this whole matter? Well, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, Jesus was not afraid to be countercultural and to challenge the conventions of his time, he was not afraid of that, especially in gender questions and and, uh, the role of women in society in the church. Um, You know, if you know the story of Mary and Martha, you know, where uh, Mary's in the kitchen, she's cleaning and Mary, uh, Martha's in the kitchen cleaning and and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet learning from him. That little statement that Mary uh, was sitting at Jesus' feet is a very uh, countercultural little statement because if you had a rabbi who was training his disciples up in a school, it was never, a, a rabbi never had a woman sitting at his feet learning from him. Jesus was challenging, Uh, he says, I want men and women together as my disciples who are going to be going and doing my mission and serving. And, you know, some of you know that the, uh, the witnesses to the resurrection were women. One of the most important roles in the establishment of the early church is who witnessed Jesus' body raising from the dead. And no one else in that culture would have had a woman do that. Jesus had women as his first, his first witnesses. And you have other people, you know, uh, Priscilla helped uh, teach Apollos, who's one of the early church leaders. Um, Phoebe probably delivered the letter of Romans, which is one of the most important books in the whole Bible. And so women were playing a hugely important role in the mission that Jesus was putting together. They were not, uh, and, and actually the Bible doesn't say that men are smarter, more gifted, that's why they should be elders. That has nothing to do with it. It's that men are called to take responsibility for their families, and for the church. And so um, at the same time, while Jesus was willing to be countercultural, you know, he, he appointed 12 apostles to start his church. None of them were women, 12 men. The whole Old Testament, all the leaders are, are men. And so I I'm just I want I to tell you that this is my conscience uh, before God's word to be faithful to that. And it's actually, you know, it's something that I'm excited about. I'm excited about men stepping up and saying, I'm going to play my role in this church. And so it's really a calling for us. Um, So I I wanted to just spend a little time on that um, because that's a a delicate issue in our culture and some of you that might not be sitting well with you right now just come and talk to me i'd love to talk to you just tell me i'd love to hear what you're thinking if, if that's a problem for you I'm, I'm open to sit down and get coffee so come and talk to me so this fall we're starting officer training we'll be talking about uh, theology uh, the character of uh, of an elder what what kind of man he should be and also um we'll be talking about the vision of this church. So it's important that if you're going to be an elder, you're not becoming an elder because you want to change what our church is about. If you, ha- uh, It's about coming on board and saying, I like the direction we're going as a church, and I want to be a part of it. I want to serve in that direction. So that's what elder training is. Then, now this is where it gets some of the details. This is where I would be checking out in terms of details. But <laughs> details. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens at the end of elder training... The Presbytery, so I am accountable to a group of pastors and elders in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. They, um, some guys that I know from the Presbytery will be appointed to um, to talk to, the after elder training, a group of men will say, I, I want to put myself forward to be an elder. Um, the... Uh, the Presbyterian will have a commission of guys that will come and talk to them. will kind of give them an exam, you know, ask them about the Bible, ask them about theology, ask them about their home life and about what kind of husband and father they are and find out who they are. And then what they'll do is they'll give the church a kind of list of men and say, uh, these are men who have put themselves forward and say, I want to be an elder and who we, we think they meet the qualifications that the scriptures give for elders. Then you as a congregation will nominate Men from that list and say, that guy, I want him to lead this church, so I'm going to nominate him. And then we'll have a group of men that are nominated, and then the church votes on it, okay? Uh, and the church says, these are the guys we want. Now, what you see is these are a lot of layers of accountability. And that's because we we want guys that um, who have the character of the gospel, that the gospel has really grabbed a hold of, and really are in line with lined up with our church. So that's kind of uh, the process. And one of the things that you'll see in that is that you're involved in that process. The Presbyterian's involved, I'm involved, we're all involved in, in deciding who is going to lead us in this church. And so the, one of the big questions we need to be asking is what are the things that we're looking for in a leader? What are the qualities? And uh, what I want to do is I want to look at this passage and say essentially that there are three, three qualities that we should be looking for in guys that we would entrust to this kind of position. The first is that he is a shepherd. We're looking for men who are shepherds. Second of all, we're looking uh, for guys that are um, um, called by God. Guys that are shepherds, they're called by God, and um, that are an example of the gospel. Their life is an embodiment of the gospel. They, they, in their life and how they live, are a picture of, of the gospel and the heart of what we believe. You see it in their lives. So those three things. He's a shepherd, he's called by God, and he's an example of the gospel. So first, he's a shepherd. Now look at verses, um, look at verse one and two. So I, exalt, uh, so I exhort the elders, that's right, right there. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, um, I want to describe to you what a shepherd does. Um, what, are the, what does a shepherd do with his flock, with his sheep you know what why is why is peter using that image one of the things as i describe this an important thing to think about is a guy who should be an elder this is something that he should already be doing it's not like oh you give him this title this position this place of this uh, role in the church and then he begins to be a shepherd you're looking for people who are already doing these things that's their way of life and then we want to put the the title on someone who already has that okay so um and these are a few of the things that an elder does what a, or, or what a shepherd does what does a shepherd do first a shepherd nourishes the sheep so you know a shepherd you know has a flock the shepherd know, uh, feeds a flock uh, cares for it and the shepherd actually knows what's what's happening with each of the sheep oh this you know I don't know if they name their sheep. You know, Johnny, this sheep has a bum leg and this sheep is is pregnant and this sheep uh, is ill and can't keep up or this, is, this, is, this sheep's a baby and um, it knows what's happening with each of the sheep. That's an important quality of being a shepherd and of nourishing because the, the call of an elder is to be able to speak into people's lives and encourage them and build them up in their faith and to press them on to know... Uh, uh, to know Christ better, to trust him more, to show them that God's working in their life and show them, here, look, at God's working here and to encourage them. And to be able to do that, a shepherd needs to know what's happening in people's life. And so that's one of the things we're looking for is men who know what's happening in people's life. They have relationships with people. And one of the things that means is that they listen well. <laughs> they know how to ask good questions. You know people like that, who when you're talking, you can tell they're attentive to what you're saying, that what you're saying, they care about it. And they know how to ask good questions to kind of open your heart and to find out what's really going on in life. Not in a kind of prying way, but in a way that they really care about it. And you feel comfortable sharing with them who your life is. That's one of the qualities of a shepherd. You know, there's in our culture, many people are, are more and more are going to counselors and therapists, and, uh, which isn't a bad thing. It's good. People want to talk about their life and talk about what's going on. But one of the main things that a counselor does or a therapist does is they just listen to people. In a caring way. They love them and they just listen to them. And they find out about their life. We can do that for each other. <laughs> we don't need the counselor. I mean, there's some things, obviously, only counselors are, are trained to deal with. But probably 80 to 90% of what they're doing is just listening to people and caring about them. We can do that for one another. And we're looking for people who are already doing that. They're attentive to people's needs and caring for them. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that you can see that nourishing, building up, encouraging quality in someone is how they act in their family. Uh, That's one of the things that uh, Paul says about elders is, you know, if a man can't manage his family well, how can he manage the church? And... So that's one of the things is, is how does a guy, what's his relationship with his wife? Does he listen to his wife? Is he tender towards her? Is he compassionate? And, and uh, care? does he know her? And does he know his children? How do his children feel about being Christians and being a part of a church? Is it something that they're bitter about and they feel like, wow, I, he's laying burdens of religion on top of me? Or is it something that they're glad that they grew up in a family that loves Jesus? What's the feel? Is, is there a kind of rigid religiousness there or is there a joyfulness in the goodness of God those are the things and and you know what if we're as we come forward and we put ourselves forward to say I want to be an elder one of the things that we're inviting is that people need to look at our lives and decide we need to be judged I need to be judged should I be in this position now does this mean that guys who are going to be elders that they're without sin no actually I'm going to come back to that but one of the things is is we're looking for guys that nourish, shepherd, encourage, build up, know people are in their lives. And you can see that first and foremost do they do that in their family. So first, a shepherd nourishes the sheep, cares for, um, tends to. The second thing that a shepherd does is defend. You know, I, I, I don't know if you know the, the image. I, I think I've heard that a, a shepherd has two, you know, kind of the staff, which it kind of tends to the sheep with and leads the sheep with, and, it's got a, and then the shepherd has a rod in the other hand. It's for beating off wolves and things that are uh, trying to get at the sheep. And so a shepherd, you know, has this interesting combination of both a tenderness towards his sheep, caring for them, but also um, is a defender, you know, is not spineless, is not, um, uh, is not a pushover, and understands that there is some protection that needs to happen in the church, actually, you, as you read through the jesus teaching, as you read through uh, the New Testament there 's a great sense that, um, that Jesus just says there are going to be false teachers in in the church. There are people who want to uh, set their own agenda, they want to get people to follow them, they want to do their own thing, or they want to get power over people, or they actually don 't want to teach god 's word the way it 's written they don 't want to be under Jesus authority, and they want to do their own their own uh, agenda. And that's something that we have to be aware of and, and what elders have a responsibility to protect the church. That we aren't led into false doctrine or false teaching. And, um, and so there's this combination where a, a, an elder is both nourishing but also defending. And one of the ways, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you know, there's a time, Paul says in another part that, that an elder should not be a new convert. Because there's a part, you know, this happens for me in college. I think it happens for a lot of people in college where there's a time where there's all kinds of questions about the Bible and about what it teaches, what do Christians believe, where you're just wrestling through things and you're asking all kinds of questions. And that's an important process to go through of of questioning, wow, the Bible says that. I don't know if I can believe that. How do I work that out in my mind? And that's a process that pretty much everyone, you need to go through if you're a Christian. And, And in fact, this church, I hope, is a safe place to do that. It's a safe place to voice your doubts, voice concerns, and say, I'm not sure what I think about that. But an elder um, is someone, you know, the Bible is clear. The Bible does teach things that you can grab onto. It's not just this huge mystery that we can never, we can never really know what it, what it says. And so an elder should be someone who's gone through that process but has landed on some things that they already believe and they say, okay, I, I get this. The Bible teaches this. And I feel resolved on this. And so that being an elder is not a place to be f- figuring out what I think about the Bible. It's a place to have some resolve. So, of course, you know, do elders still have questions? Do they still have things they're wrestling through? Yes. But there's a good portion of the Bible... That they're resolved on. Okay. It's because they have a a responsibility to defend the church. To recognize false teaching when it comes. So a a shepherd both nourishes and um, uh, protects, defends. The last thing a shepherd does is the shepherd leads the flock. Um, And you know, I could spend a lot of time talking about leadership, but I think one of the things that's important is we think about uh, men that would be leading in our church. A question you need to ask is, is this someone that I want to follow? Is this someone that I want to I get behind? Because you look in this text, what it says there um, in verse 5, uh, you who are younger... And this, this isn't age younger. This just means people that are, if you're under the oversight of the elders, the elders are the leader, the leadership of the church. You who are younger, be subject to your elders. And so when we put someone in a position where they're going to be making decisions as a church, we're also saying that, you know, I might not agree with them at some point. And... But I'm going to get behind them. And because uh, I believe in them, I trust them to lead. To lead and to uh, be subject to them, to submit to them. That's something that we do as a church is we submit to one another and we submit to the leadership that God appoints for us. And so that's something that you want to think about. Is this someone I want to submit to? And so I, I think part of, the, you know, some of the questions that, uh, to ask, um, there's a few things that you see in this verse. Look at verse 2. Uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, and this is, so that's that that picture of leadership. Exercising oversight. This is what elders should do, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So you're looking for people who don't, they don't want to get it, you know, if you're going to be, have to submit to someone or be subject to someone, you don't want someone who's trying to become an elder because they like the sense of status that, wow, I'm in a position of power, I get to make decisions over these people. You, do not look, you don't want someone who, who, that's what they want, is they want that position, that sense of status that kind of feeds their ego. Um, you're looking for someone who, uh, um, who also, it says in verse 3, is not domineering over those in his charge. You know, that's one of the things that Jesus says that, uh, to his apostles is, uh, you know, you're not going to lord your power over people like the Gentiles do. You're not going to bulldoze people and boss people around. That's not how leadership works in the church. We, uh, we lead by inspiring people, by building people up, by loving people and, and getting them on our team, and then moving forward. And that's what, you know, Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what that means is for leadership in the church, it does not mean that you are above the rest of the people in the church. You're actually below them. To become an elder means you're putting yourself below people to serve them. That's what Jesus did, is he made himself lower than people that he might serve them and build them up and raise them up. So that's, that's the picture. These are, these are kind of the image. I'm just giving you kind of a whole bunch of images of this is what we're looking for in people who are leading in our church. Okay? So, um, a, a, a someone who, to be an elder should be a, a shepherd who nourishes, who defends, and who leads in, in, in the way that Jesus does. Um, now, the other part of that is not just having those qualities and that they're already doing them, but a man who's going to lead in our church should also be called by God. You know, I said that, that this is not my church. This is not our church either. This is God's church, and we want people who are called by God. Now, how do you decide if someone is called by God? You know, you see that there in, uh, in verse, uh, verse 2. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. This is God's appointment uh, for you to be an elder, is what he's saying. So how do we know that God has called us? into a position of leadership. Well, I'll, I'll share with you a little bit of how that process happened for me. The first step is that God gives you a desire, a calling in your heart, a, a longing to serve him. And uh, I've shared with some of you that what, uh, this is probably five years ago. Uh, I was I was in the University of Washington. I was working on a PhD in math. I was going to be a math professor. I was going to have pocket protector and glasses and everything. And I was ready to go. And uh, And I... Actually, I was, I took a bus every day uh, across the lake to the University of Washington, and one day at the bus stop, I found an iPod, and I put up signs, you know, I lost iPod, call me, and uh, no one, no one claimed the iPod. So I started listening to some sermons on there, and I began listening to a guy named Tim Keller in in Manhattan uh, about church planting, and that just stirred a desire in me where I said, I got to do that. I I am made to do that. That is my calling. I've been waiting for someone to tell me to go do that. And someone asks, and I'm I'll am come home and I tell Shannon, forget it. Forget the math program. We're moving to St. Louis. We're bringing the kids. And we're going to seminary. And, you know, the desire was there, right? Strong desire. And I'll tell you one of the, the, uh, you know, a, a key component in that. And I, I don't know who told me to do this along the way it may have been Bert it's probably Bert Bert's here uh, who played a key role in this uh Trev and I both were saying we should go to St. Louis we should plan a church together and we went Wiser Lake Chapel is church just up in the county that's where we went to church those are the people that had discipled us that had trained us and what we did is we said you know what I got the desire in my heart but what do other people say about that we went up and we met with the elders there. And we said, listen, we're thinking about church planting. I know it's a crazy idea. <laughs> but We're going to go to seminary. We're going to bring our families and put them through school. We're going to come back and we want to start a brand new church in Bellingham. What do you think of it? And they said, we're behind you. Go do it. We see, the, we see those gifts in you. See, we see God's calling in your life. Actually, we're going to pay for your seminary. <laughs> they added that piece to it. And there was an internal call, but there was an external confirmation of the call do you see that it's both God's telling me in my in my heart and people outside God's telling me through the church outside that's how you know I mean some of you have questions even about other things about your calling in life that's part of that process is there the internal desire and the external uh, confirmation but the last piece is you know I went to seminary and you know Bert doesn't get to just say sure go plant the church I'm a part of a denomination and uh, I'll tell you I went through hoop after hoop after hoop of, of people kind of looking at my life. Shannon and I went through a four-day um, intensive assessment where they were asking us everything about our, our marriage, about our children, about our relationships, about our money, about everything in order to say, to give us a green light to go plant a church. So, and then we had the opportunity. We came. There were people here who wanted us to plant a church. And so we got a call by the presbytery and The presbytery said, go do it. And so what there is, is there's, that's, that's how the, the call works, is it's both internal and it's external. And that's part of the process that's going to go through here. Is some of you might say, I want to be an elder really bad. I have that calling. Are you, it, we have to be willing to put ourselves under the scrutiny of other people and say, all right, look at my life. What do you think? What do the people here think? Do these people want me to lead them? And actually, you know, what's going to happen is we'll go through this whole process, and then you as a church will decide whether you want to hire me as your pastor. So I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping you do that, okay? So I have a job. Um, so you'll, you'll be doing that uh, early next year. Um, so a, an elder is uh, a shepherd. He's called by God. But this, I think, if you were to talk to Trev and I about what is the most important thing... This would be the most important thing um, that, in, in my vision of leadership is that an elder who's someone whose life is an example of the gospel. Their life is an example of the gospel. You see that little phrase here about, about Christian leadership. Um, in, uh, in verse 3, the elders should not be domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. They're examples to the flock. Examples of what? What are they being an example of? I mean, our message that we're telling you every week here is not be perfect and never sin, right? So they're not being examples of never sinning. What are they examples of? Well, there's, this has been a huge verse in my development, I think, as a pastor. And, uh, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul, the leader of the, of the early church, this is what he says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The leader of the whole church says, I'm the worst sinner in the world. <laughs> and Jesus saved me by his pure grace and pure love. And then this is what this is amazing. This is what he says. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. That he was saying that my whole life is I am a picture to you of God showing grace to sinners. That's what you should see in, in an elder. It's not that they have a show of a life that's perfect. Is that they're a life, it's a life that's been touched by grace. I'll tell you what that does. You know, when a gospel really sinks in in someone's heart, on the one hand, they say, I'm the foremost sinner. I'm not, I'm not telling you how to live because I have a sinless life and I have life figured out. No, that's not why I'm a sinner. I needed Jesus just as much as anyone. I can't be, feel superior superior to anyone. So there's this profound humility. And yet, they're not beating themselves up all the day, all day long and saying, oh, I'm worthless and I'm not worth anything because they know Jesus paid everything for me. I'm a son of God. I'm beloved by God. And so there's this combination of a deep humility to say I'm a deep sinner and yet a confidence, a security that I can still assert myself. I can still lead. I can still enter into relationships. I can be vulnerable. I can take risks because I know I'm a son of God. I'm not arrogant because I know I'm a sinner but I'm secure and I'm confident. That combination, that gospel combination of, of uh, I'm a sinner saved by pure grace. That's what we're looking for. It's you can't pinpoint it. There's no recipe for it. It's something that happens in the heart. And um, and Paul was saying he was a living embodiment of it. His body, his life was a picture of that gospel. And and I gave you this quote in uh, in, in the page three in your bulletin. You can read along by Dave uh, Dave Dixon David Dixon who was a pastor in the 19th uh, scottish pastor in the 19th century um he says this elders should be men of deep sympathy not only having human kindness in our hearts but that sanctified and consecrated having experience of the ups and downs of human life they know what it's like to be a sinner they know they know how hard life is we should have sympathy with human hearts ready ever to weep with them that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice the world is not governed by logic, and to do uh, much good in it, especially as Christian men and elders, the words of truth we speak must come, from war- uh, come warm from our hearts, or they fall cold and pointless. It was once said to me of another, I think this is so profound. It was once said to me of another, he's a good man, but somehow he never reminds me of Jesus. He was a good man, but somehow he never reminds me of Jesus. The question is, is does, you know, there's all kinds of good people. The question is, do they remind you of Jesus? Do they remind you of the gospel? Do they want you to love Jesus and trust him more? Do they, they assure you that the promises of God are true? That's the big, you know, the big question we're asking about one another. Is this someone that reminds me of Jesus? It doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're sinners saved by grace. Because that's the heart of our church, Right? Many of you come here, that's what you're hearing every week, is that Jesus saves sinners freely by his grace. Is this someone who's experienced that, and their life has joy, has kindness, has compassion, just uh, dripping out of it all over the place. They're leaving kindness all over the place because their heart's been touched by the gospel. So that's a picture for you. And I know there's a lot um, a lot to digest, but that's what we're looking for. And um, in over in the, these next few months, uh, we're shooting for March 2012, uh, we'll be an established church with elders leading and you're going to play a role in it. So uh, may God just lead us in that process. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how challenging it is. I pray that um, uh, this standard, uh, this picture that you have uh, for elders, you would just use that to encourage all of us. And that as sinners who all fall short of your standard, um, would we just find joy in the gospel? Would that grab hold of us? And would that produce joy? Would that produce kindness? Would that produce leadership and vision and risk in us? Uh, Not our own strength, um, but the hope of the gospel and your promises. And so lead us over these next few months. I do pray that you would uh, raise up men in this church who could lead us with a common vision and one mind, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.